The Taliban has governed Afghanistan for more than a month now. International forces are gone, but 40 million Afghans are still there. 16-month-old Kulsum has measles and pneumonia. She's suffering severe acute malnutrition. Five-month-old Qasim is very underweight, and they are fighting for their lives. Many countries, including the United States, have stopped aid to Afghanistan now that the Taliban is in charge. UN says that Afghanistan is facing a humanitarian and economic catastrophe. Today, we talk to the doctors trying to heal Afghanistan. They say no matter the government, the world needs to help keep Afghans alive. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. The change of government in Afghanistan has marked a scary time for so many Afghans, especially women, and especially women giving birth. At the changing of this regime, some pregnant women were coming to me. They want to do cesarean to finish the pregnancy. Their pregnancy period was even not completed. That's Dr. Najmusama Shifajo a gynecologist in Kabul and the president of Afghanistan's Society of Obstetricians and Gynecologists. She held that position under the previous government, and she'll keep it under the Taliban. She says it isn't the Taliban these women were afraid of. They were afraid of not to have the doctor, not to have the hospitals. Just they want to bring out the baby from their wombs. Over the past few decades, infant mortality has lessened, along with the number of women dying from childbirth. These are figures Dr. Shifajo knows well. Although still the maternal mortality in Afghanistan is very high, it decreased. From around 1,200 deaths for every 100,000 live births to half that. Still pretty scary odds if you're pregnant, but it's getting better. And Dr. Shifajo attributes that to all the medical staff working around the country, especially in small villages and towns. We have trained many midwives, many female nurses, and they were working in the uh, provinces, uh, districts, sub-districts, and we had many clinics over there. Now, many of them are struggling. Most of the clinics were funded by NGOs, especially by the foreigners. Right now, all these collapsed, and strangely and unfortunately, WHO stopped helping the health sector. Unfortunately, World Bank also. The World Health Organization initially faced logistical challenges getting supplies into the country after flights were canceled. And there are still security concerns. Meanwhile, the World Bank froze $600 million meant specifically for Afghan hospitals. The World Health Organization says 90% of more than 2,300 health facilities face imminent closure because World Bank money issued under the previous government has run out. The United States froze $9.5 billion from the previous government's assets, while also pushing the International Monetary Fund to hold back around $400 million more. We are very disappointed. 
we wanted the World Bank not to stop their funding, do not make the health sector politics, whether the government is run by the Taliban or by any other leader, they are stopping help for the people who are not involved in the war. She says she's also more worried about the funding than she is the Taliban government. In fact, she's met with members of the Taliban working on healthcare issues and says they've listened to her concerns. One of the biggest concerns is the doctor's safety. At midnight, we need some surgeons, some anesthesiologists, some extra doctors for doing the procedures. The problem now is that there are checkpoints in place and the Taliban are strict at night. The doctors are often stopped. The Taliban will ask, where do you go? She says she told the Taliban official, and he came up with a solution. He told me that they will make us some special car for passing for the doctors. He promised that he will help us, and if somebody creates us a problem, then he told me that I should call him. To find out what's happening at other hospitals and how the Taliban is managing things like paying public hospital staff, we talked to two other doctors. They work at the City Medical Center, a big hospital in Kabul. All the country is in the worried uh, situation. The government is changed, the people is changed, the president is changed. Ashukar Rahman is training to be a dermatologist at Maywan Teaching Hospital, part of the medical center. It's one of Kabul's main teaching hospitals. What has it been like? At the first week, no patient was come to the hospital. Everyone was in their own home. And now this week, there are more than previous patients because the economical situation of the Afghan people is not good. So they cannot go to the private section for treatment. So they are coming to the government's hospital to treat free. My name is Dr. Muhammad Mustafa Sahibzada. Dr. Sahibzada trains Dr. Rahman. I'm a dermatologist. It has been more than a decade right now that I have been working in this field. The biggest department here is pediatrics, and kids often crowd the lobby. Dr. Sahibzada tries to say hello and comfort them a bit when he can. We estimate 70% of all the functions occur in the pediatric section. Pediatric department is the busiest. Lots of patients can be due to malnutrition. That's a big issue. When we spoke, it was already night. So the doctors had time to explain what it was like working and training to be a doctor while your government is turning upside down outside the hospital doors. How were you feeling as a trainee? Uh, while Taliban captured Kabul, I was in the hospital observing the patients. One of my friends came and told me that the Taliban come to the city. I was shocked that uh, what uh, happened, he said yes. Have you been having conversations with other trainees about things like salaries and things like what this might mean for the future? Yes. From the 8 morning to the 4 evening, we are just talking about the salary in the future. Uh, what will happen and will they able... We don't have any companies 
everyone is uh, working for government government paying the salary and the current situation is that no government is here and no salary is here so all of people are waiting for government to come and to give their salary the doctors kept working though even without the salaries and dr sahib zada agrees with dr rahman that things are busier now more patients are arriving daily with serious problems and some have been there for weeks now there is one patient, a 44-year-old engineer named Lutfullah, who's been on Dr. Sahibzada's mind. We have got one patient suffering from configus vulgaris, where the patient develops blisters all over the body, not only the skin, but also the mucous membrane is also infected, mouth, nose. Lutfullah was working as an electrical engineer at the president's office before he got sick. Dr. Sahibzada is translating for him here. I feel a little burning sensation in my back, in my body. The places that are ulcerated and it has lots of burning sensation. They're, they're unable to eat because of the mouth irritations and blisters that are not able to swallow the chew. You will have to use some sort of tubes. They're being washed three times a week. They'll get rid of excessive dirt and excessive excretions crusts on your skin and this provides the site to be exposed to medications that we use especially the creams and ointments do you feel like you have the stock of the creams and ointments the medications that your patients need right now no actually at the hospital that i work all the departments they write down the medications that they need for the whole year as estimate number of creams ointments uh, tablets, capsules, whatever it is needed. How do you get the money to run a hospital like this? The hospital, the budget comes from the Ministry of Higher Education. They have allocated budget for the staff salary, the kitchen, they prepare food for all the nurses, doctors, caretakers, for the patients as well. The budget is from the government side. Most public hospitals are run by the Ministry of Health. But because this is a teaching hospital, it's the Ministry of Education. And there's some international aid money, too. Some international NGOs, WHO, they have got some specific donations. And so, under the old government, were those funds easy to get? That was easier. That was pretty easy. But under this government, it's difficult and maybe inaccessible. Because of the lack of funding through the international community because they have not recognized the Taliban regime as a legitimate government so far. This is a big issue. Where will the funds come from now? It has been one and a half months. The salaries of the doctors has not been paid, but it's only just days that the salary was paid. It was paid in the bank account, but the bank staff is not able to get the salary because of the number of people who are approaching to get the money. People are struggling to get their money from the banks. We should be clear, Dr. Sahib Zada was not thrilled with the old government's attention to medical care. So it's not like he thinks the hospital was starting from a great position. But he says... We were satisfied, even if that was not sufficient. But at least there was something. And now, it's less than sufficient. Yes. It has been two years since or three years since the government made a policy to take fee, a small amount of money for checking the patients. 
who came to the outpatient department for 20 Afghanis. 20 Afghanis is the equivalent of about 25 cents. And those who are getting hospitalized, that is 200. So about two U.S. dollars and 50 cents. For every procedure for medical examination, for laboratory procedures, x-rays, they put some amount of money. Previously, it was all free. Dr. Sahibzada says the money they charged patients would go into a government account, and they were able to use what they needed to maintain the hospital through a system of brokers. We had some brokers who used to provide everything that the hospital needed. But it was a little complicated, he says. It was based on a bidding process. One or another broker would win the bid and bring in supplies for the hospital daily. Then this person will be responsible to provide the hospital needs. One broker comes and he deals with the food, another with the medicine, another with the oil supply, gasoline. But when the former president, Ashraf Ghani, fled the country and the Taliban took over, he says the system broke down. The brokers even apologized to the hospital, he said. We're sorry we're not able to provide you anything because we don't know if the new government is going to deal with us, is going to pay our money, or the money that we have is in the bank, so we will not be able to take it out and bring you the supplies. This has caused a, a crisis for the people here working here. What they had left in the hospital was running out. We have run out of stocks. There is no medicine as far as I know. Even the food for the patients, for the staff, were, were at the end, last stage. Dr. Sahibzada told us his boss decided to do something about it. Our director went and talked with the Minister of Higher Education. The new acting Minister of Higher Education, Abdelbaki Haqqani. Haqqani is one of the major figures in the Taliban government, and he's one of the few speaking out. Just last week, he made headlines saying he intends on keeping universities open and building upon what exists today. He also insists classes be segregated by gender. Up until this point, though, the Taliban government hasn't said much about their plans for health care and hospitals. And for Dr. Sahibzada, this is a very critical issue. He says his director explained the problem to the new minister. They talked with the minister that we have no budget right now, so please allow us to use this amount of money that we are collecting from the patients. We will have a record of transparency, of accuracy. Each penny will be used for the hospital needs. At the end of each month, we will give you a detailed report of how much we spent. So he agreed on the spot. It's amazing because in the previous government, if you wanted to ask for something, you had to write applications. It goes to different office procedures. It took a month. But this minister acted on the spot. So now we are using the money that we get from patients on a daily basis. We buy the food supplies for the patients, for the doctors and nurses. The new system is working, Dr. Sahibzada says. But many of the patients are still struggling with the money. Like Lutfullah the 44-year-old patient you heard from earlier. His salary at the president's office also came from outside the country. Dr. Sahibzada translates for him. I don't have any income. As you know, the international community has stopped your funding. The situation is uh, sort of as unpredictable. It's getting worse day by day. We have seen that the patients some of them borrow money from friends and family, whatever they find, to find the medications. And some patients even sell their belongings. 
land. That's a very uh, heartbreaking scenario. So the UN has just pledged $1 billion in aid for Afghanistan. Do you hope that the pledge from the United Nations will change things? We are optimistic that it should change things. But as far as I know, the UN will give the money to international NGOs and the projects will be implemented by the international NGOs. Half of the money will be used for other expenses, housing, food, staff salary, which is way too much compared to what the government employees receive. If the UN gives that amount of money directly to Ministry of Public Health, that will bring a positive change in the life and the health sector. What do you think about the international community refusing to give to a government run by the Taliban? So the first question is that from the US, if they think that the government is a terrorist, why they had agreement in Doha with them? So now that all the things have been finalized, the international community should recognize Taliban regime as legitimate government. They are in power, let's give them a chance and observe their activities. The girls should be allowed to go to school, continue education. At least human rights should be observed. Who is suffering? The poor people of Afghanistan are suffering. Dr. Rahman agrees. Our doctors desire from the international community do not stop their funding in the section of medicine because this is not for the Taliban. This is for the Afghan people who are living here. If the international community stop their funding, women will die because of delivery. Patients will die because of nothing to have buy medicines. Situation will become very bad. And remember the $600 million the World Bank was spending before that flow of money stopped? It was funding hospitals outside of urban areas in Afghanistan, where the situation is much worse. I've done many, many missions in different countries, and for me this was really sobering. Dr. Tenkert Stoba is usually in Germany, where he's from. But we caught up with him in Herat, in western Afghanistan, working with Doctors Without Borders where I'm trying to coordinate together with our Afghan and other international colleagues all our medical activities. There are about 70,000 Afghans scattering in three different camps, and they have spent weeks, months, some of them years. They have come here because of the fighting. One of their clinics sees 400 people a day from those camps, he says. They're also helping to treat COVID and vaccinate for it. There were three people sitting all by themselves with their vaccine. So I I went around and and, and gathered people and said, go vaccinate it. And at least five of them I could convince it. And they have an ICU just for malnourished children. Doctors Without Borders Charter lays out their philosophy as neutral and impartial. Their mission is to provide, quote, life-saving medical care to those most in need, irrespective of political convictions. And Afghanistan is not an exception, Dr. Stuba says. At the moment, the independence and neutrality we have, this really pays off MSF. We we are not depending on those money from the World Bank or from government funds, which is good because we can continue working. One of the last surviving organizations delivering healthcare here. He says the number of patients they're taking in has doubled. I've been here in Herat to the pediatric department and looked around and spoke to doctors, nurses and the patients. And I can tell you hygiene, supply of drugs, presence of nurses and doctors, all absent. 
mothers were treating their own children, putting IV fluids, drugs into their veins uh, without knowing what they do. The health of the people or the chances of a pregnant woman to find a safe place to give birth has been very bad and it's now getting even worse. At the moment, I believe the, the funding of the health system in Afghanistan, it's down to almost zero. Even if massively funds uh, return to Afghanistan, it will be less than probably it was before. And Doctors Without Borders is also in touch with the Taliban government. We have spoken to the Taliban and we have a good talking relationship. They beg us to stay, they beg us to do more. Not only here in Herat, I know that from my colleagues in other districts, every day we are receiving wish lists which basically say run the hospital. And we are not talking about thousands of euro or dollar, we are talking about tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands or million. These are huge budgets. It's a lot. And it's too much for Doctors Without Borders to do, he says. But a lot is needed in Afghanistan right now. They want to hand over parts, if not the entire health system to us, which we have to say no. Of course, the bad news is we can't shoulder it ourselves alone. So we need the World Bank, we need the International Monetary Fund, we need governments around the world not to cynically play their political games on the shoulders of the Afghan civilians. There are 40 million people in Afghanistan and they try to go on with their lives. They try to buy food for their families. They try to put their children to school. They are not different than anywhere else in the world. They just have it much, much harder than most parts of the world. And I think they don't deserve being neglected just because the government is not so popular. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Amy Walters with Nagin Oliai, Ruby Zaman, Alexandra Locke, Ney Alvarez, Priyanka Tilve, Dina Kispe, and me, Malika Bilal. Our story editor is Tom Finton. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Aya Elmilek is our engagement producer, and our executive producer is Stacey Samuel. A special thanks to Ali Latifi, Osama bin Javed, and all the Afghan doctors who reached out. The news in Afghanistan is something we're always keeping an eye on. So check us out on social media, where we'll continue to have updates. And you can get involved in the conversation. We'd love to hear your thoughts. We're at AJ The Take. We'll be back.